We begin our prayer here in the presence of uh, the Lord. And uh, as he is truly present here, in hidden in the, in the bread, in the Eucharist, in the Blessed Sacrament, he's also present here, right here in the Word of God. As we read today in the Gospel of today from St. Mark, it's a, it's a really happenstance that it should come today um, on the beginning of the octave of uh, the week for prayer for Christian unity. This is the passage that wasn't planned to, to start the Christian unity, but it just came like that. We read from St. Mark chapter 3, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lakeside, and great crowds from Galilee followed him, from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, Transjordania, the region of Tyre and Sidon, the great numbers who had heard all he was doing came to him. And he asked his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, to keep him from being crushed. For he had cured so many that all who were afflicted in any way were crowding forward to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. But he warned them strongly not to make him known. So it's a beautiful image of all these people in the ministry of Jesus, this, this universal mission that he had with people from all over the place, from Judea, from Jerusalem, from Idumea, Transjordania, all these places. And, and uh, you know, this, this vast multitude, no doubt people of different languages and, and cultures and ways of being. And, and they're all coming to Jesus, eh, who is offering them healing. Ailing people, broken people, suffering people, damaged, physically damaged, some of them hurting psychologically, perhaps exhausted uh, from the conflicts in their life. But also, as the Lord says here, or as the Gospel says, afflicted by demons. Eh? Afflicted. And those demons, their attacks were like constant. They were wearying them. They were divisive attacks, agitating these people pitting one against the other. Loquacious demons that made people talk and talk and talk and talk and criticize and criticize and criticize. Constantly seeking to break down the unity of the people of God. And the, the very unity, for that matter, of Jesus' plan. This is a beautiful image that we have today of all these people seeking healing, seeking Peace from the Lord Jesus. It's particularly beautiful as we begin this week of prayer, or this rather octave of prayer for for unity in the church. And of course, Jesus wouldn't let these demons speak, because when they spoke, they were just so criticism. They were divisive. Uh, they would uh, make these declarations of hostility against anything that was. It was good about Jesus, or, or for that matter, of the apostles. 
And they're very good words uh, for us to consider as we take the responsibility to contribute in some way to Christian unity. Of course, unity within the church, right, so that there not be all these factions and right and left and, and different uh, yeah, you know, groups uh, uh, countering each other. That we really have to contribute to this, and that is to the unity of the church. And, and of course, I mean, it's appropriate because after this passage of all this healing and all this, you know, expelling the demons, well, it's right after that that Jesus chose his 12 apostles. Of course, these apostles would continue his uh, ministry. And they too would heal. They too would expel demons. It wasn't just Jesus. Jesus gave them the power to heal. gave them the power to expel demons. It's as though the sacred humanity of our Lord was able to act through Peter, act through John, act through Matthew, and uh, well, all the, uh, the 12 apostles. The sacred humanity of Jesus continued through them. I mean, we know in the opening paragraphs or passages of the Acts of the Apostles, they were healing. They were, even just the very shadow of Peter was to cross somebody, people would be healed. They were, or they were trying to get healed just by the very shadow. And it was as though the presence of the apostles, the twelve there together, were like a widening of the humanity of Jesus. And as we consider this, we too must feel the responsibility of widening the reach of the Lord by extending His teaching, extending His presence in some way, His action, His word, not just uh, by virtue of the fact that it's Christ who does it directly, but Christ acts through his apostles and we are his apostles. We continue the action of Christ in the world. And that's why, you know, he healed so many and it had to be done in unity. There could not be uh, divisions among the apostles. And, and that's why later when the centuries uh, went on, you know, there were divisions in the church. There were ruptures and uh, these ruptures are like a deep wound in the in the heart of Jesus that we we have to ask uh, the Holy Spirit we have to have God that that the, the wounds in the body the mystical body of Christ truly be healed and um, and we are in a time now you could say that when many in our culture are wounded many in our culture are wounded there's you could say many sick people sick in the sense that they they're broken. They often come from broken homes, broken values, uh, uh, broken identities. They don't know what their purpose is, their idea of what God wants from them. The whole often repeated question of dysphoria, you know, like a, like a confusion even as to whether you're a man or a woman. You know, the, the, these all hamper people's uh, identities uh, to develop and their purpose and their mission. And all this needs uh, healing, deep healing. And we can think that that's part of our mission. With our presence, with our words, with our healing balm that we can um, you know, impose on others by, by just our kindness, our warmth, our empathy. And uh, there have always been sick, sick people in, in the world, there have always been 
you know, there's never a time, just as there's never been a time without poor people, there's never been a time without sick people. And we, you and I, cannot inoculate ourselves from them, you know, whatever the sick uh, you know, types are in the world. And, um, and when we do that, souls will respond. You know, the, there's a beautiful passage in The Way. It shows this is the way our father, Sidozria, perceived it. He, the way, number 419, children, the sick. As you write these words, don't you feel tempted to use capitals? Children, capitals, all caps. The sick, all caps. So he, he says, the reason is, he says, that in children and in the sick, a soul in love sees him. Soul in love sees him. Just like when, we, when he writes here, him, obviously referring to Jesus, he capitalizes him, him with a capital H, because it's Jesus. Well, in the sick, we have to put a capital S, because he is in him, and we must uh, recognize him. Or he says in the forge, serving and forming children caring lovingly for the sick. To make ourselves understood by simple souls, he says, we have to humble our intelligence. To understand poor, sick people, we have to humble our heart. In this way, on our knees, in both intellect and body, it is easy to reach Jesus along that sure way of human wretchedness of our own wretchedness. It will lead us to make a nothing of ourselves in order to let God build on our nothingness. Strong words in which the, we offer our Lord our wretchedness. And you could say that this is part of the project of Pope Francis now, in this time that we are in. Pope Francis has emphasized this, you know, the, that we have to reach out to people, reach out to those who are alienated, reach out to the sick, the poor. And he's often emphasized this, that we really do care about these people. And, um, you know, there was a program on uh, the BBC, I believe it was, uh, <clears throat> where they were interviewing this fellow, Peter Stanford, who had written a book on angels. And he said that more people love and pray to angels than to God. More people love and pray angels than to God. Because angels do things for you and ask you for nothing. Their love seems to be unconditional. The angel helps you all the time. God, however, asks you to follow a moral code and judges you when you don't follow it. I mean, that's the perception. So people say... You know, I'm going to go for angels here. And so the project of Pope Francis is to convince everyone, especially those who have left the church, that God's love for them is unconditional, as is perceived often that angels are. But of course, God's love is, is it unconditional. That's the origin of all unconditional love in, in God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he... Pope Francis perceives this as a project that we must have. Because that unconditional love that God has for us, 
It's not a widespread belief. It's not even understood among, even among Catholics. The unconditional love. I mean, it is expressed and shown in the care with which uh, Jesus, uh, well, in which, uh, the way in which Jesus took care of the sick. The empathy that he showed. It's because of his unconditional love. He didn't love them because they were brilliant or, I don't know, prestigious. He loved them regardless of their conditions. Even when they were broken. And that, you know, that's not a widespread enough belief. That is that there's nothing we can do to ever diminish God's love for us. We may think we have to act a certain way, we have to behave properly, we have to, you know, make a good genuflections, and, and, then, and then if I do that good, you know, if I follow, if I told the line, eh, God will love me. If I finish the whole plan of life and everything, then, then God will say, well, okay, I guess, uh, okay, I guess I will love you. Okay, but did you go to Mass on Sunday? Did you go? Uh, oh, yeah, you did. That shows your records show that you did, so I guess I love you. you know? That's not a, I mean, it, it's obviously a caricature of God's love. And uh, this, uh, this, this unconditional love that can never be diminished, we want it to be more widespread. And our love for others. Our love for the sick, our love for whoever we meet in our life, has to mirror, has to mirror that love of God. Love of others as He has loved them unconditionally. You must love one another as I have loved you, He says. I think, you know, I think it's in that context that we might or let's say that logic that we might understand the late, recent declaration of uh, fiducia supplicans, you know, the, uh, the declaration I'm sure you've all heard about and that the, the internet is lit up with, you know, all kinds of commentaries on the idea of blessing of, of uh, you know, either same-sex couples or, or, or couples in irregular situations. I think it's in that context because you know, the number of people who have left the church all over the world, you know, including obviously here in this country, you know, including during the great popes of Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people who have left. That formation is poor. Ignorance about the truth about God is widespread. And so we want to we want to we want to say things about God, but, you, but form people. But just repeating it is not enough. Repeating things is not enough. You know, the Pope is really keen to reach those that are far from God, those who have left, those who are who have, for somehow somehow something happened, somebody mistreated them, or they misunderstood something, and they said, "Oh, that's it. I'm out of here." And um, some say, well, we just got to teach, teach the truth and people will come back. Okay, you just preach the truth and people will come back. Well, I mean, look at your friends. Is, that, is this really true? Is that that, that pe- you suddenly say the truth, or you, you know, say, by the way, this is wrong what you're living, by the way, and that's true. You know, <laughs> they may be living in a, 
in an immoral lifestyle. And, uh, doing that, what you're doing, actually, you know what? That's against the moral law. Okay, that's true, yeah. But does that actually bring them back? Or all the dysfunctionalities we see, you know, people that are divorced and remarried, you know, gay relationships, people living together and all that stuff. You know, people tend to leave the church and, you know, do not, some simply do not respond or are captivated by the beauty of chastity or the beauty of celibacy or apostolic celibacy. They're simply not moved by that. They're stuck in something else. Some people say we should preach conversion. We should preach repentance like John the Baptist did. You know, John the Baptist was preaching conversion to prepare the way for the Lord. But others think that this will not move many people nowadays. And we're talking about the days of now. The church, the, the world rather. The world has changed a lot. And a lot of things that worked before, I would say, yeah, they no longer work. And it is our responsibility to bring the people today to God. And we have to find a language that works. It's our responsibility. We can't, I don't think it works just to have some theoretical notion of explaining doctrine theoretically to people as though that, that would uh, illuminate them. There was a story of a guy, he said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start, I have to give doctrine classes. So I, he organized a doctrine class, and he said, I'm going to give doctrine classes, doctrine, 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 doctrine. And there's going to be ten doctrine classes. And he did all the way. He read the catechism back and forth and up and down and references and checked everything and prepared these insane classes, doctrine classes on the day. Nobody came. Nobody showed up. Well, no, none of that was wasted. God bless him. None of that was wasted. God will use that, you know, in some other way. So we have to find some way of attracting, you know, our friends, going out there to attract them in some way. Maybe, maybe it is doctrine. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, but what's clear is that the Pope has decided to fulfill his role of promoting the mission of the church that for him is to bring souls to God. And he has to do something to reach those who are alienated, those who are divorced, uh, those who are the gay community, the, you know, any number of uh, alienated uh, people wants to somehow go out. For him, it means to go back to the basics, to preach the love of God first, which comes before the moral law comes before. Because the morality cannot be understood without knowing that God does in fact love each one of us. Until we get captivated by the fact that God loves us, then, then only then can we be interested in integrating into our life the moral law. But if the only people that hear, if the only thing people hear are the commandments, in some way, we have failed in our communication of the faith to find the thing that is the, truly the most attractive. And then the rest will come. The rest will come.
So let's ask, uh, let's ask the apostles uh, that together worked uh, to continue the mission of Christ. In this case, we see that he healed. He healed so many alienated souls and, and hurting souls. And we pray in particular at this time that the church be strong and united and that any divisions begin to heal. There are many places in the world that there are great divisions. We really pray for that, that the healing balm will be God's love, His unconditional love for each one. Even those who have very different visions from us, that God loves them. There's no way He cannot but love them. And Our Lady will intercede for us so that that unity of the church that we work for will be realized. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.